1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's begin at verse 11, his first mention of this term, the coming of Christ. Verse 11 through 13 are kind of a prayer in the middle of the book. It's a transitional thought of Paul. Firstly, he says, Now may our God and Father himself of our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. In other words, he's praying that they could come and, and, and visit with them. And verse 12, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. In other words, love your neighbor, love the Christian first, love the world, it's a second great commandment. But notice verse 13, as you are dedicated in service to Christ by loving people, so he may establish your hearts, notice the phrase, blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Now, that last phrase that he's saying Jesus Christ is coming back to the earth, but he's not coming alone. He's coming with all his saints. So he'll talk to us this morning about what happens when a Christian dies. What is this thing called the rapture, the second coming of Christ? We'll explore this. But basically what he's looking for back in verse 13 is, is that we would be ready. And he uses the phrase blameless in holiness. Now, somewhat abstract, but blameless referring back to the way that we treat other people in love. That is, our Christian life is lived dedicated to God. And if, you, if I could substitute a phrase for blameless in holiness, because holiness means to be separated unto God and separated from the things of the world. And holiness, basically, it means that you're dedicated to God. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. But when you fall down, you get up and you start serving the Lord again. That Jesus is the center of your life. You're someone who prays, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life. I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. So this is where we're going this morning. I've entitled the message, Blameless in Holiness. And let me suggest to you that, that the second coming of Christ is arguably the, the most anticipated event that we should have in our lives. It shouldn't just be something relegated to our theology, but it be, should be something that motivates us to live each day. Let me perhaps give you an example. How many deer hunters in the room? Let me see your hand here. Okay. Well, the deer hunters know that deer season starts when? November 28th. The sheriff knows exactly when it's coming. All right. We've got people in the church. I visited with a dear friend the other day, and he said, Yeah, I'm going to my deer stand today, and, and I'm going to put the stand up, and I'm going to put the corn out. And I'm thinking, Yeah, okay, here, little Bambi, for two months, just dump corn in the feeder. All right, you know. And then they take pictures, and they know Bambi comes out at about 9 in the morning, so they're watching TV in the deer stand about 8.45, and they get ready. And that's a modern-day deer hunt today, okay? We duck hunters don't do that. We don't dump <laughs> corn in the water. You know, we, don't, we, 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 we give the game. A, a fair chance, and it's much more skill involved. Uh, anyway, but you're preparing for that day. You're going out to the stand. You're cutting the bushes down so they don't get in the way of your rifle that shoots two miles. I mean, you know, everything is, is just perfect. You're getting ready. Huh? Just kind of making fun there. How about if you're going to have a baby? Now, Pastor Travis and Whitney just had a baby about 10 days ago, and yeah, I, I can remember years ago talking to him about, hey, man, you're going to have kids? And he said, well, we're going to wait, you know, till she wants to finish her master's degree and, and you know, get a house and, and things are just right. And then lo and behold, this year they announced that she's pregnant and it's on Facebook and we're waiting uh, daily for the name to come out and I'm thinking it's going to pop out little John Jackson, you know. <laughs> but, but they named him something else. But anyway, 
they're anticipating. So the baby's room gets painted, you know how it goes, and baby showers, and, and everything is perfect for that great day. Well, guess what? There's an anticipation, just like if you're getting married, you're, you're looking forward to it. If you're, if you're going to school, if you're in, in college, you want to be a doctor, and you're going to medical school, and, and you know it's eight years down the road, or 12 years down the road, and, and everything goes forward to that day. How much more should we be preparing for the day of Jesus Christ's return? I mean, listen, I'm all for getting the duck calls tuned up and getting the right choke tube and the gun and all that, but listen, that, that's just a day, but the day of Christ's return is monumental. So let's talk about it today and see what, what Paul taught us. First Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, as we begin with this idea of the second coming of Christ. Now, I'm going to go verse by verse through this, and then we'll use a lot of supplemental verses to this, kind of explaining the Bible with the Bible. Uh, my opinion is not that important, but when we hear the Word of God, I may know that's vitally important to us. Now, first question Paul addressed is what happens when a Christian dies? What happens at death? 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, he says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Notice the word that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. So when Paul talks about death, he says death is like sleeping. Death is not a period. Death is a comma. And we'll be awakened, of course, at the resurrection of our bodies. But just like you went to sleep last night at whatever, 10, 11, 12, 1, and you got up this morning, well, in the same way, one day your body will be buried and sleep in the earth, but it will rise at the second coming of Christ. Graves will open. I mean, that's a big praise the Lord. Now, but then he says, don't grieve like others who have no hope. Which simply means if you are not a Christian, if you, you know, you may have a, a magic genie's lamp and you may hope, you know, uh, reincarnation is true. Only problem is we have no, you know, there's no proof of those type things. The resurrection of Christ, we could spend a great deal of time in apologetics that it is quite logical. It makes sense. People saw him. I mean, time is, is divided by his life. B.C., A.D. I mean, we live, this, this man has a track record. Well, because he rose from the dead, there is hope that we will rise from the dead. Therefore, when you and I go to the cemetery, we go with tears. I mean, no, when you love deeply, you grieve deeply. When you bury someone that you care... Listen, in the newspaper today, I don't know, maybe 12, 15, 20 people in the obituaries. I didn't know them. I skip over the page. But when there's someone that I know, how I many know it's different? You love deeply, you grieve deeply. But when you and I go to the cemetery of a Christian, we don't say goodbye we say, I'll see you later. Now, that's a powerful perspective that we have. Now, this idea of a Christian, when a Christian dies, though, what happens? Now, we've got to understand that the body depicts human beings as three part, body, soul, and spirit. I am a spirit. It's hard to get around that. You can't go to the doctor and get a spiritectomy. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't have him go uh, and, and change your, your spirit. We understand the soul a little bit, your mind, your will, and emotions. Uh, but the body, we're very, we understand very much, our physical body. The Bible calls this body a house, a tent. And so often we give more attention to the tent than we do to the development of the spirit. But yet this is the way that we are, and our bodies die for one reason and one reason alone. Adam and Eve sinned, and sin brought death. And death, though it's a great enemy, it's God's great reminder to us that we can't live without Him. So that's what this resurrection is about. So when a Christian dies, a Christian spirit goes to be with the Lord. 
their body in that cemetery, in that funeral home, that's not the real person. They're not there. Now, we'll talk about this. Uh, and this is not just nice preacher talk. Uh, other scriptures tell us this. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be, say this with me, away from the body. So he's talking about death in a very different way than I do. Death is the last thing that I want to happen. Paul had an experience where he was caught up to the third heaven. Paul literally went to the presence of God. So he knows what's there. And Paul said, I can't wait to get released from this body. I want to go there. Philippians 1.23, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and... He didn't say I'm going to have soul sleep for several millennia. He didn't say, I'm going to cease to exist. He didn't say, I'm going to disappear. He didn't say, I'm going to become one with the cosmic universe. You know, I'm, not, I'm going to become one with the life force. No, he, he didn't say that. He said, I'm going to be with Christ, which is far better. Now, let's go back verse 14 in, in, in Thessalonians. He said, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, notice this, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So I thought if they've fallen asleep, they're in the grave. Yeah, they are. Their bodies are in the grave, but their spirits are with the Lord. So when Jesus returns at the second coming, He's going to bring with Him every Christian that's ever died on the face of the earth. Their spirit is coming, but their spirit is coming to be reunited with their body. You say, how's it going to happen? I have no clue. I can somewhat grasp it if they're buried, you know, physically in a, in a grave. But how about if they're cremated and their ashes are scattered? How about if they're, you know, we're in a bomb and they, they explode it? Look, if God's big enough to create all this, God can reassemble the parts. So anyway, he's coming back with them. Verse 15, this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, that is believers who are still living, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So now he's saying there's going to be Christians on the earth. We're looking for that great gathering in the sky to meet Christ in the air. Those that have died are going to go first. Graves are going to be open. Next time you go through a cemetery, just think one day somehow that grave is going to pop open. And then he says this. He said, for the Lord himself, verse 16, will descend from heaven... So Jesus right now is at the right hand of God the Father. What's He doing? The Bible says He's praying for us, making intercession for us. So one day He's going to come back from heaven. There's going to be a cry of command, the voice of the archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. A lot of noise. But Jesus is coming back to the planet. And He's coming back with grace. He's not as coming as a baby in a manger. He's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. He'll be whitey, riding on the great white horse, the armies of heaven with him. And then it says, the dead in Christ will rise first. So that is every person that's been buried. A grave that was there in the Civil War that was not even marked. A mass grave somewhere where Christians... This week as we're watching the turmoil going on in Syria and in Egypt, Christians are being killed, their churches are being burned in Egypt right now. As we're safe here in America, our brothers and sisters in the Middle East are under great, great pressure, stress and duress. But the dead in Christ will rise. So, so let's pause just a second and, and begin with this idea of the second coming of Christ. Now this is something that Jesus talked about and was, was predicted when He ascended. Not only did Jesus live a sinless life, he, was, he died, 
He was buried. He was resurrected. But the fifth thing is he ascended to the Father after a few days. So Acts 1 verse 10, Jesus has ascended to God and there's some angels there with the disciples. Here's the conversation. Two men, these angels stood by the disciples in white robes and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up, there you go, from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. So just as Jesus literally went into the air to be with God, he will come back in the air. John 14, 3, here's what Jesus said. If I go and prepare a place for you, what's he say? I will. Now look, there's a lot of things in life, you know, and I've got hobbies and I talk about them and laugh about them and all that, but there's something more important than your hobby. There's something more important than your dream house. There's something more important than your job. Come on, there's something more important than the new truck. There's something more important than the new four-wheeler. Something more important than school starting. Something more important than hot yoga classes. I mean, something is more important. It's the second coming of Christ. Jesus said, I'm coming again, and I'm going to take you to be with me. So where I am, you may be also. If you're like me, I try to make my world as perfect as I can. I want my house to be nice, my car to be clean. You know, I just, I want order in my life. But, but this is all temporary. None of this is going to last, but we're going somewhere that's going to last for eternity. Hence, we should be more dedicated to God than we are the things of this earth. He goes on now. See, now when an unbeliever dies, it's different. When an unbeliever dies, someone that has rejected Christ, the Bible says they go to a place called Hades or Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. It is the holding place of the dead, and they're awaiting final judgment. It's not popular in America today to talk about hell. And Christians are not better than other people because they get there. Actually, Christians have humbled themselves and said, God, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. I cannot get through this valley of the shadow of death without you. I need Jesus Christ. Other people face their limitations on their own. They buck up, they're tough, they borrow money, they go ahead, they step on people. But my friend, at some point, you can't do that to death. And the only way to get aside is through Jesus. And if you reject him, my friend, you too will be resurrected. We'll talk about it. But you will await the wrong kind of own judgment day. Let me tell you, Jesus gave one very clear example of how this happens and how it works. Remember the story of Lazarus. Lazarus was a poor man. He was a beggar. And then there was a rich man. And it doesn't say the rich are wrong, but this rich man lived selfishly. He ignored the needs of people. He had no place in his life for God. Both of them died. And the Bible said the angels carried Lazarus to a place called Abraham's bosom. In the Old Testament, it was called paradise. That's where believers went. That's where Abraham was. Moses, uh, that's, where, that's where Adam and Eve were. All those that believed in the Old Testament. Remember what Jesus did at resurrection? He went to take the keys of... Hell and death, guess what he did? He unlocked this prison and he took those souls in paradise to heaven with him. When Jesus was resurrected, the account is they saw graves opened in Jerusalem. See, and, and, and saints of old walking around. So he emptied it. But in the story, Jesus said Lazarus uh, was asked by the rich man, could Lazarus please dip his tongue in the water, or dip his, his finger in the water and touch my tongue? I'm tormented by this great fire. And oh, by the way, could you have him tell my brothers because I don't want them to come? Which shows us his personality was very much alive. He was very cognizant of what was going on in this holding place. There was a great chasm or divide that separated the two and you couldn't cross. 
So the Bible tells us this is what happens in death. And the unbeliever is waiting. And let me say this. Hell was not prepared for people. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. But if people choose to reject God and the goodness of God and the mercy of God and the invitation of Christ, you're on your own and a holy God is left with no choice but judgment. So that's kind of what, what, what's coming there. Uh, let's go farther. Verse 17, back to Thessalonians. Then we who are alive, in other words, after the dead, those graves have opened up and they've gone to be with Christ. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll always be with the Lord. Can you say, that's going to be a great day. Now, we sent an email to uh, heaven and we got a little footage of what's going to happen and... Uh, just joking, of course, but I want to show you just a little bit what it may be like on the day of the rapture, this idea of being caught up in the clouds. Take a peek, and then we're back to the Scripture. Rapture is a Latin word. You won't find it if you look in your concordance, but it's referencing this phrase being caught up. Uh, this word refers to being caught up to be transported. This word uh, rapture, this idea of being caught up, this is not the only time it's in the Scripture. Philip, you remember when Philip was with the Ethiopian eunuch? He witnessed to him and then he was caught up and they saw him no more. Remember when Paul was caught up to the heavens, to the third heaven? It's this almost a violent taking, not, so, not something to hurt you, but God literally transporting you. Enoch in the Old Testament walked with God and was no more. But this depiction, I think, is pretty accurate. Maybe on that day when Jesus comes back, because the Bible will clearly teach us you need to be ready because people don't know when it's going to happen. Maybe you're, in the, you're going to surgery and they're wheeling you down the hall and, and the, the, the orderly's pushing you and all of a sudden the gurney stops and you look back and, and he's gone. Uh, maybe you're in the surgery suite and you're a physician and, and, and you're operating and you say, hand me a scalpel and nothing, nothing happens and you tell the nurse again, hand me a scalpel and you look and she's not there. Maybe you're in the school classroom and, you know, the teacher's writing on the board and, and she's putting this equation. She said, what's the square root of nine? And she said, Billy, what is the square root? And she turns around and Billy's gone. 
And they lock the school down, and there's not only Billy gone, but there's other kids that are, that are gone from the school, and they wonder what happened. And they're thinking, well, maybe it's aliens. Maybe it's an abductor. No, it's Jesus. Or maybe the kids are taking a test, and the teacher's monitoring the test, and, you know, the kids look up in a second, and the teacher's gone. Now they figure they can look over here at this one and look over at that one, but she's not there anymore. You see, that's what the Bible says is going to happen. It's coming quickly. It's coming suddenly. People will be driving cars down the interstate. Airplanes will be flying through the air. And the Bible says one will be taken, one will be left. It's called the rapture. It's a great day of expectation for the believer. That's why we need to be blameless in holiness, which we need to be dedicated to God and His service all of our life. Christianity is not a marginal experience on Sundays, but Christianity is a way that we live every day with God. So let's keep going farther. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul speaks of this same experience. He said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Uh, he said, We shall not all sleep. In other words, we won't all die, but we'll all be changed. We'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound the dead or the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. This mortal body subject to sin will be no more. At that day, this body will never have cancer. This body will never have heart disease. This body will never lose its hair, praise the Lord. This body, this body will not fall apart. But this body will be, it will be a brand new resurrected body. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. That's what awaits us. That's what your future holds as a Christian. Now, this day of the Lord that we're talking about, as we talk about the second coming of Christ, I am not an expert in the sequence of end time events. I do not have charts for you to tell you this happens and this and this and this and this. Many believe this, as I describe this second coming, Christ never comes to earth at this moment. Because in Revelation, it talks about Jesus coming back. His foot will touch the mountain Jerusalem. The mountains will split over, and he'll begin the thousand year or the millennial reign of Christ. Don't ask me why he's doing it, but the Bible says Jesus will reign on this earth for a thousand years before, before the, end of the, the end of the age. But this could well be Christ just coming back for his church. That, that's in keeping with what's called the pre-tribulation rapture theory. Uh, let's go to chapter 5, and let's pick up another theme. Paul's still talking about end-time events, and now he introduces a phrase called the day of the Lord. And most of the time, if not all the time in the Scripture, this phrase, day of the Lord, refers to a day of judgment for the unbeliever. It says in verse 1, Now concerning the times and season, that is, when the things are going to happen, you have no need for me to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the, say it with me, day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In other words, let's say... Um, Let's say you went to church today, and let's say somebody broke in your car during church. They were a thief. You didn't know they were there. The last place you'd expect somebody to steal would be here, but that's what's happening. It's coming like that. People are saying there's peace and security. They're saying our economy is fixed now. The economies of the world are fixed. 
We've taken care of the violence in the street. The media has squelled, squelched what's going on in terms of people's uncertainty. We have fixed things in the Middle East. Come on. We've dealt with the chemical weapons in Syria. Uh, we've made sure that Israel is not going to be destroyed and blah, 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 blah. We've done all these things. Now there's peace on the earth. Jesus said at this point in time, their sudden destruction is going to become upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman. I'm not a woman, thank the Lord. If men had babies, the earth, every family would have one child, they say. But they say that first real labor pain changes things. I can see Travis and Whitney having their baby right now. They've gone through Lamaze classes. Come on, honey. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> My daddy told me not to marry you. No. No, I'm sure it wasn't like that. But that labor pain is, it just comes and it's uncontrollable. The day of the Lord, the Bible says, is the day of judgment on the ungodly. Now, listen just a moment. Uh, many of the Old Testament prophets spoke of this. Isaiah said this, Isaiah 13 perhaps one of the most prolific writing prophets in the whole of the Bible. Isaiah said, but the day of the Lord will come, and listen, cruel with wrath and fierce anger. God is a loving God, but one day His love will become His justice. Wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. It gave God no pleasure in doing that. You know, the Bible says God wants all men to be saved. Come on. He didn't want any person to come to destruction. But it is those that willfully resist Him that have the problem. Scripture says, I will punish the world for its evil. I'll punish the wicked for their iniquity. That's what our sins deserve. I mean, listen, if you commit a crime, if you, do, if you commit a crime, if you assault someone in church, the sheriff will have you arrested in church. Why? Because it's a crime, you broke the law, there's a punishment. And similarly, God has laws on this earth. And when we violate those laws, the, the, the wages of sin is, is death. But Jesus came as a substitute so we wouldn't have to bear the penalty of our sin. That's what was communion was about. Jesus' life was given so I wouldn't have to give my eternal soul for my sin. See, that's what Christ did. He goes on to say, though, he said he's going to put an end to the pomp of the arrogant. He's going to lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. We're surrounded by this today. I mean, if you think about the college kid that was shot in the back in Oklahoma just this week because kids were out for fun or, or perhaps it was gang initiation. There was a World War II veteran, veteran, 88 years of age, I think Spokane, Washington, beaten to death, come on, with, with a flashlight, I think it was. A, a policeman in critical care today because somebody beat him with a bat. I mean, we live in a world today. In Syria, they've killed upwards of 3,500 or, or, or at least damaged them severely with, with nerve gas. I mean, we live in a world today that's filled with this kind of, you know, the, the rich despot uh, destroying. It's just a mess. But the Bible says one day God is going to end the pomp of the arrogant. He's going to stop the pride of the ruthless. But this idea of the day of the Lord is not just an Old Testament idea. The New Testament, Simon Peter, the great voice on the day of Pentecost, he said this, say it with me, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Peter, 2 Peter 3, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And listen to this now. The heavens will pass away with a roar, 
and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. What does that mean? That means the earth is going to be destroyed. You know the Bible says in Revelation there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth? The earth is going to be destroyed. Probably as this reads, the sun, the planets, certainly in our, in our uh, galaxy, if not the entire universe. But all this is going to be dissolved. And let me say this to you. I believe all of us should take care of our planet. I believe you need to pick up your trash. I'm glad I live in America where I don't have smog so thick like Mexico City and many places in, uh, around the world that you can't see or you can't breathe. I'm, I'm glad we're taking care of things, but you can go too far in, in, in environmentalism. You can begin to worship the earth and the created rather than the creature, rather than the creator. And I'm telling you, friends, there's a place where people say it's more important to have a pristine planet than it is to protect the souls of the innocent and poor people. Because many have fed us a lot. When I was in school, they said the earth can't support all the people that are going to be on it. Baloney. You can ride through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of just across America farmland that could produce corn, come on, that could feed people, that could produce potatoes. America is the breadbasket of the world. When I look at the world, I want to see as many people as possible because that's just more that can go to heaven. It stems from a different Christian worldview. But I'm telling you, the Bible says one day this planet will be no more. Therefore, the house that I live in is not, and I want my house to be as nice as it can. I want my grass, my flowers. I want everything fixed and painted. But I'm telling you, one day it's all gone because what matters is Christ. Therefore, we should live blameless in holiness, dedicated to God and dedicated to His service. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amening. Notice what he says, verse 11. Since all these things are going to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? So he's talking about the destruction of the planet, and now you need to live holy and godly, waiting for the coming of the day of God. Now, let me go back, and I'm wrapping up. Verse 4, back to Thessalonians. Now, I want you to listen to the contrast he makes between the believer and the unbeliever. And let me say it again. If you're here and not a Christian, this is not a demeaning term. Listen, every person is saved by the grace of God. A Christian is not any better than anybody else. They're just someone that has bowed their knee to Christ. They're just someone who has said, I have done wrong and I have sinned and I need a Savior. And forgive us if every, anyone has ever treated you in a self-righteous, bigoted way. If anything, Christian people should be the most humble people come on the planet. Because we believe that we didn't save ourselves and we're not good enough. God is good enough. Come on. That's why the church should be a welcoming place for people in all of our brokenness, in all of our pain. Because all of us need a Savior. Verse 4. Now, notice for the contrast. There's going to be three between the unbeliever and the believer. You're not in darkness. Here's the unbeliever. You're not in darkness. And that means spiritually blind, unaware of these spiritual realities. For that day to surprise you like a thief. But you are what? Children of the light. There's the contrast. Light implies that we can see, that we understand things. Uh, we are not of the night or of the darkness. And here's the second illustration. So then let us not sleep as others do. Sleep referring to being indifferent to the reality of the Lord's return. It's like you just you don't know and you really don't care that much about it. And here's the third one. But let us keep awake instead of sleep and be sober. 
Now, it's not talking about literal drunkenness, but you know, if you've ever been drunk, you know that, 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 that there's a stupor about you. you. You know that you're not, you know, you don't see things clearly. You're not as sharp as you are. So, unbelievers, darkness, sleeping, drunk. Believers, they're in the light. Uh, they're awake. Uh, they're sober. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christians are watchful and waiting for the coming of the Lord. We're told in the book of Titus, listen, Titus said, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing, come on, say it with me, of the glory of our God, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Come on, give him a big hand today. That sets the tone for our future. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to pick up 2 Thessalonians where he talks about the Antichrist, I want to talk to you about future events next week. A, a, a one-world government, perhaps the mark of the beast. Certainly what the Bible calls the great falling away, as we see that around us today, where people are leaving the truths of the Bible and they're making up their own religion in their own mind. But I want to close with this as Pastor Nick comes. Let's go to Jesus. If I could ask this question in closing, so what? If all this is true, and, and all you said, second coming, rapture, all these things, how does this affect me? What can I do with this? Did you just give me some information, preacher, or should this affect the way that I live? And I want to suggest to you, it is the latter. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, when the Son of Man, that's Him, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. In those days before the flood, people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up until the time Noah entered his boat. They're going to school. They're running to Walmart today because you've got to get the kids supplies because you hadn't got a chance to get them yet. They're trying to get signed up for, stay with me now, they're trying to get signed up for, for fall, whatever the kids are going to do, whether they're going to twirl the baton or do gymnastics or, or cheer practice or you're going to play fall ball. You're making sure you've got your store of deer corn there, deer hunter. I mean, we're, we're just kind of getting ready. Uh, there's going to be parties. You're maybe even already thinking about Christmas sales and all this stuff. And listen to me, none of that is wrong. We are in the world but not of it. We're enjoying these good things of life, but we see something beyond them. There is more to life than what this world has to offer. There's more to this life than what new movie they're going to come out with. There's something more important than whether Ben Affleck is going to be Batman. I'm just telling you. There's something more important. But if you're not careful, that's all Facebook, come on, and that's all YouTube, and that's all your connecting points will talk to you about. Noah lived... Noah took about a hundred years to build a ship. Do you realize, stay with me, if you went to public school, do you realize, well, you don't realize you, it, that all the major civilizations of the world, all the people groups of the world hold in their history a great story of a cataclysmic flood that covered the earth. Now, their interpretations may be a bit different, but it's in their histories. How in the world do you think there became seashells on top of mountains? Is it just possible? In Noah's day, did you know the earth was not watered with rain like we know it? In Noah's day, the Bible says there was a giant mist cloud that waters the earth. That's why dinosaurs were so prolific on the planet, because it was a perfect environment. But in Noah's day, when Noah got in the ark, you see, these hundred years, he did more than just go to Home Depot and buy nails. 
the people that he'd see, he was a preacher of righteousness. In other words, he was blameless in holiness and he was telling people, Jesus is coming, or not Jesus, but God is going to judge the earth. You need to come and be in the ark. You need to be a believer. You need to be a follower. But they ignored him for a hundred years. And then one day God said, get on that ship, Noah. He got on the ship and the Bible says the door closed of its own accord. God was the one that shut them in. And when the waters came, the flood waters not only came down, but the Bible says the deep was broken up. And I suggest to you, if there was an earthquake right in Texarkana, do you realize water would come out of our parking lot? Spring Lake Park, there's a river that, that runs under, uh, uh, under us. They say it's a large river. In July, you'll see water coming out of the parking lot sometimes. There's a river that's running underneath the ground. Is it just possible that as that water came up, that God even caused mountains to give, bring forth? And what was the ocean bottom became a seashell on top of the mountain? Well, just something to think about. There's just some things that they don't tell you in evolution. They don't tell you sometimes that they've found trees, come on, in, in, in rock strata that shouldn't be there and there's not an explanation. All they can do is do this. They don't tell you that they have never found a fossil that is one of these transitional species that they say is the process of evolution and the hundreds of millions of fossils. Isn't it odd that there's no fossil of the ape man? And they try to find a jawbone and make a monkey man. That's just all extra. But we're living like Noah, and people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That's the way it's going to be when the Son of Man, when Jesus comes. Now here's the closing. You must keep watch. For you don't know what time the Lord is coming. Any military people here? You know what keeping watch is. When I was in the Navy, I, 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 it could be a midnight watch, a 12 to 4 or 12 to 6, and we'd walk around the hangar. No guns, flashlight and radio to protect that plane. And if you got caught sleeping, you were in heap big trouble. See, but what your job was was to stay awake and look at what's going on. And that's exactly what the Christian is to be. Notice, Jesus said, you must be ready. Say it with me. All the time. Because the Son of Man is coming when He's least expected. And here's my prayer for you today, is when He comes, there's a great big smile on your face. And I don't know about you, when He comes, I don't want to be sitting at the computer watching pornography. I don't want to be on the way to a drug deal. I don't want to have just gotten in some knockdown, drag-out gang fight, come on, when Jesus comes back. I don't want to be sitting on top of some guy beating the devil out of him. I want to be living a blameless, holy life. Come on, give Jesus a big hand today. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to have one closing song and opportunity to pray for you. And let me encourage you, don't turn yourself off, but let, let God speak to you in this, in this private moment. Oh, Lord, give your praise.